Welcome to Let's Talk Loyalty, an industry podcast for loyalty marketing professionals. I'm your host, Paula Thomas, and if you work in loyalty marketing, join me every week to learn the latest ideas from loyalty specialists around the world. So welcome to episode 19 of Let's Talk Loyalty. Delighted to be here with you today on January 23rd. Um, we're past the, um, apparently the toughest day of the year, which is the third Monday in January. So I'm certainly very excited about the year ahead and lots of fun and games going on in my world of loyalty. And today what I'm doing is chatting to somebody I've done a little bit of work with now over the last two years. So Nick Chambers is Director at Mobile Loyalty Technologies Limited. He is based in the UK, uh, but does work um, across Europe and in fact globally. And Nick reached out to me a couple of years ago with a very exciting idea um, with regards to me joining an organization that he was relaunching, which goes by the name of the Customer Strategy Network. Now, I have to say at the time I wasn't familiar with the network and what I wanted to do was bring Nick onto the show today to talk exactly about why he relaunched it, exactly what is the entire vision around the network. And I suppose the reason I found it so exciting and I was so delighted to be invited on board was because I know what it was like to be working independently as a loyalty consultant um, on a loyalty project where I didn't have all the answers. And what I found is um, networks like this particular one we're going to talk about today has an incredible amount of expertise available um, on both a flexible and a freelance basis. So it's a really exciting idea. And if you do ever need some extra help on projects, this is the kind of thing that you might want to look into. So before we get into too much detail, I want to first of all welcome Nick Chambers to Let's Talk Loyalty. Hi, Paula. I'd like to thank you for welcoming me on your podcast. Um, Great. As you know, this is the first time that I had done a podcast, so uh, <laughs> treat me gently. Um, very much. But I'm, but I'm very much looking forward to uh, to answering your questions today. Great, Nick. And, uh, and I love the term that you used before the call. You are a, a podcast virgin, as you said. And as I mentioned, in fact, everyone I've had on the show is exactly the same. So I really appreciate you taking the kind of time today. I know it's 7 a.m. in the UK when you, we're recording. Um, but I do think there's an awful lot of value that we can have in this conversation that will be super interesting to the audience. So before we get into the organization itself and the stuff we do together, um, you do have a very impressive background in loyalty. Um, as well as payments. Um, there's a couple of brands I picked up from your profile, such as Barclay Card, such as Shell, and even a program called Green Rewards. So rather than me try and um, do justice to your career deck, why don't you just give us a background in terms of how did you get involved in loyalty and tell us about your own consulting and um, employment career in the loyalty industry? Yeah, yes, of course. Um, I mean, it's interesting, Paula. I mean, I, I like to think of myself as an independent loyalty practitioner, mm -hmm. really, rather than a consultant. Um, you know, given my background and my experience, it's those um, the experiences that I've had in delivering and implementing programs that has given me uh, a different perspective, I suppose, than than what what you might consider around a consultant. Um, 
You know, I've been working with clients across a range of industry sectors for the past 10 years, um, including retail, hospitality, manufacturing, transportation, and financial services. And as an independent practitioner, while clients um, value my objectivity in finding solutions to their specific customer management needs, mm. it is important for myself to have a specialism. You know, mm. as you say, my focus has been around payments and loyalty and mm. their conversions across the mobile channel mm. and, and really to differentiate oneself in, in what is increasingly a crowded market of consultants and consultancies. Mm. And I like that differentiation, Nick, actually. I hadn't really picked up on the subtlety before, but you're right. Um, everyone uh, that, that we work with, we, we are practitioners. So uh, there's a lot of operational expertise in, in what we do. So, um, so I'll be looking forward to getting into all of that. Yeah, yes. And, and as you, you mentioned around um, some of my career highlights, you know, I've, I've worked client side um, with organizations such as Shell on mm -hmm. their smart uh, coalition program, mm -hmm. um, with clients like Barclaycard, um, with the home retail group, mm -hmm. looking at the, the B2B channel for their uh, products and services. Mm. But I've also worked agency side for uh, Brilliant. People like um, Carlson Marketing and mm. Nectar. Mm. And then also in the startup world, um, I was working out in the US um, for a, uh, a social enterprise that was looking to, um, to really help brands with their CSR credentials. Um, nice. And so, so really had quite a nice mix in terms of enterprise clients, um, mm -hmm. Uh, startups and and agencies and and really that you know allows me to talk around being a practitioner mm. um, and that's really how how I look to position myself within the market. Brilliant, brilliant. Okay, um, so I know our main kind of agenda today, then Nick, um, is to talk about the customer strategy network. So. Tell us about, you know, when was it relaunched and why was it relaunched and exactly what is the Customer Strategy Network designed to do? Okay, I mean, the Customer Strategy Network has, has really been in existence for a number of years. Um, it was launched by two industry luminaries, uh, Bill Hannafin and uh, Mike Atkin. Um, mm -hmm. I, I think you might be aware that Bill still um, runs the Wise Marketeer publication. Yes, we love um, it, yeah. And, and, and really, it was originally set up as an organization for independent consultants to share global best practice. Okay. You know, looking at trends and ideas uh, around loyalty marketing services and, and, and how they could be, uh, you know, what could be taken uh, from different areas of the world and applied um, in territory. Now, I took on responsibility for the, the running of CSN about a year ago now, mm -hmm. and it was really my intention to change the CSN model, mm -hmm. you know, to make it far more commercial in its approach to working with both brands and technology vendors. You know, mm -hmm. I, I saw, you know, all that latent uh, talent within the network rather than just sharing experience is, is really to be brought to bear on helping uh, clients, you know, solve, solve their industry challenges. Mm. 
absolutely. And I know when you contacted me about it, Nick, um, what I had also, you know, got as a shared experience was knowing that there was a real kind of hunger for expertise. And that's across um, loyalty programs at every level. So whether they're, you know, a smaller scale program or all the way up to enterprise programs, you know, in any sector, be it banking, be it airlines, there's always this um, appetite for an independent perspective. And I think for new ideas. So I do, that's what appealed to me actually was this whole idea around global best practice and what can you do when you don't know what to do? You know, I think we've all been in a situation where you're running a loyalty program, maybe for two, three, five years, and you suddenly go, do you know what? First of all, I don't know if it's working as well as it should. Or secondly, I feel it needs to be relaunched or or refreshed. And where do you start when you've been running something and you do want to get an insight from, from maybe a different part of the world? No, ex- exactly, Paula. I mean, I mean, what's important is is that all the members are, you know, going back to this point about being practitioners. You know, we've all been in that situation as that loyalty mm. manager, as that program manager, looking at the the key performance indicators of our existing program, and 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 wondering. You know how we can change, you know, the mechanics within our programs to to mm. hit our commercial targets. Mm. And 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 really, what I've seen is is, is some of the consultancies um, don't have that level of experience within their within their staffing, you know, you know, basically, yeah. as you know, Paula, we've all had the start scars from failures as yeah. well as the accolades <laughs> from successes. And, yeah. and that is really what we bring to bear on a client problem. Yeah. You know, you know, I find that this really affords us greater insights, you know, into those issues faced by our clients. And, and really, and I think this is the key point, it, it gives us an ability to speak truth to power. Mm. You know, from a position of real world experience, you know, we can, we've seen the challenges, you know, we've seen some of the solutions or we can access them through our network. And and I I really think we can add value or we do add value to Mm. our, you know, to solving our client problems. Absolutely. And I'll get you to talk through a bit of the um, geographical expertise in a second, Nick. But yeah, I like that point you made. And it is certainly something I've come across where... Particularly, I suppose, um, again, big enterprise clients looking maybe for the first time, particularly at building a new loyalty program, it can be very reassuring to to go to a big consulting firm that has a global reputation for management consulting expertise. But very often, a year later or two years later, they will find that there is a lack of um, practical expertise in running the programs because these consultancies very much are brought in to structure things, to put a framework around them, maybe to get board level approval. But then when it comes to, well, actually, how do we do that? Um, They mightn't have the level of ongoing experience running as a practitioner. So so I think that's a key point and one that comes up continually. So so tell us a bit about then the, the individual. I think there's 14 of us in total, Nick. Am I right? 
Yes, yes, that's right. There are there are fourteen. <laughs> Hopefully, there's there's uh, there's going to be fifteen by the end of uh, by the end of this week as we bring on Kunal, um, who's, who's who's based over in India. Nice. I mean, as you say, we are a true global organisation. You know, as well as yourself in Dubai, um, we have representation in Central uh, and Eastern Europe. We mm-hmm. have Ilana uh, in the Russian Federation mm-hmm. and Nicole, um, mm-hmm. who works out of Munich in Germany. Mm-hmm. We have uh, a number of representatives in, in North America. Mm-hmm. We have uh, Mike Capizzi, who, who some people might know as also uh, the Dean of the Loyalty Academy. Indeed. So uh, again, we have a, a, an access to you know, a preeminent uh, loyalty training organization, uh, which he, he runs. Mm-hmm. Um, we have good representation in Southeast Asia. Um, we have Sean in, uh, in Singapore. Mm-hmm. And uh, we have South Africa with Dion and mm-hmm. Australasia with uh, Simon, who's uh, ex-Emir, uh, mm-hmm. based out of Auckland and New Zealand. Mm-hmm. And uh, we have Adam, who's, um, who works out of Melbourne in Australia. Wow. So we do cover, yes. um, you know, anything and everything with, with India. We we do cover all the territories. And and what is interesting is is when we when we uh, coalesce and 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 work together on projects, it's, it's it's some of the same issues that are faced. Um, you know, in terms of customer management uh, within these different geographical regions. Yeah. Um, they're slightly nuanced in terms of, you know, looking at the financial services sector and, and how that's impacting uh, the Southeast Asian markets against mm-hmm. what's happening in Europe. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but still, you know, there's a common thread in terms of the glue that fits the customer piece against the changing technology piece. Yeah. And I think that's, that's really the space that the CSN plays in. Absolutely. And definitely, um, I did count actually there on our website, there's actually 10 countries in total that that people are based in. So definitely there's um, market perspectives globally, which is super exciting. And as you know, uh, the podcast, Nick, particularly, I'm using the tagline Global Voices of Loyalty. And you are the third member of our organization that's come on as a guest on the show. As you know, Mike Atkin was on as the loyalty guru and Dion there a couple of weeks ago as well. So, so very much it's my goal that um, everyone within this organization can have an extraordinary opportunity to talk about um, their markets and their perspectives, because I definitely believe it's, um, it's helping educate all of us in terms of what's happening around the world in loyalty. Um, just, Sorry, just, go on. On that, just on that point, Paula, I mean, what, what's interesting is, is when you talk to Dion, um, you know, he, he talks also about his own you know, his own business practice. I mean, I mm-hmm. think that's the key point about CSN is we we do coalesce as mm-hmm. independent practitioners around mm-hmm. this global brand, mm-hmm. but we're also specialists within our in-market in operations. You know, we all have our own businesses, yeah. as mm-hmm. you introduced me. I'm the director of mobile loyalty technologies. Mm-hmm. Um, Dion has his, his, his business. Mm-hmm. Um, Mike Atkin has his business. And mm-hmm. and really, we work, uh, you know, as individual independent consultants, mm-hmm. and then we come together mm-hmm. with with more um, it, at a more enterprise level mm-hmm. um, in terms of solving 
client problems. I mean, I, I'm working with Mike Atkin on a on a on a program at the moment in Portugal, mm-hmm. um, but we both also work independently um, ourselves, and I, I think that's a nice balance to have. Mm, amazing, and I know. I suppose what we've realised is across all of that variety, there's probably three main areas that we have found have been common issues or requirements around the world. And I'd love to just talk through those three particularly because I know for people listening, um, they possibly have one or more of these that they mightn't be aware that there are um, ideas and expertise around. Uh, So the three I thought it might be useful to talk through today is, first of all, uh, platform advice around if somebody does need a new loyalty technology, uh, where do they start to go for advice on getting the right platform or even a short list of the right platforms? Um, Secondly, with the GDPR from a legislation perspective in Europe, um, there's obviously some some ideas and some solutions that we've got within privacy. And then I think the third area that's coming up is a lot of people around the world do go through, um, I suppose, a life cycle with their loyalty program where they want to maybe sit down at one stage and go, well, is my loyalty program effective? So can you just maybe talk us through, you know, those three particular areas and and maybe how we would approach those type of issues yeah, yes although um i mean each one is uh, you probably could have a podcast on, <laughs> on, on sure. each one in, in, individually so so let me touch upon them at a, at a very high, at a very high level um you know in terms of my experience and you know and the experience of the customer strategy network so so if we talk around the platform advice i mean I really think there's a growing recognition um, amongst our clients of the benefits of moving to platform solutions rather than customized, fully customized builds. Yes. Um, you know, from, 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 from data lakes to CDPs to engagement layers, um, there's this understanding that, that the, the organizations and vendors have built, you know, great, great platforms um, specifically tailored to to organizations of different sizes. Yeah. You know, however, I think the challenge is, is the levels of customization, you know, specific, specific bespoke elements uh, for individual clients. Mm. but also how the end-to-end system architecture for these platforms um, can be fitted together and focused, highly focused, on the commercial challenges. I mean, these are always the considerations that, that we found, we mm. find. So as, mm. as well as finding the, uh, the right platform mm-hmm. for the right needs, it's also finding that level of customization um, that are specific um, to allow differentiation mm-hmm. in terms of the value proposition, mm-hmm. but also to fit within the operating model and the and the budget of individual clients. 
Yeah, and I think that's a really useful point, Nick, because I've certainly seen, you know, with my 10 years experience, and I know you've even more, technology options um, in general seem to be becoming more affordable, not that they're ever, you know, um, you know, you know, super uh, low end, but they become more accessible with the more startups, the more um, agile technology platforms around the world that are emerging. So it, it might be the case if you're a big bank, for example, and you need an enterprise solution, but it's definitely more competitive and there are more points of differentiation. Is, is that what you're saying? Yes. I mean, to give you a specific example, I mean, (laughs) let me use Salesforce as an example. I mean, everybody knows uh, Salesforce or or heard of Salesforce. I mean, Salesforce is a fantastic uh, customer data platform. I think think one of the, the... the challenges around Salesforce is, it, is because it's so customizable, mm-hmm. um, the client resource isn't there or the level of understanding isn't there within the client side in terms of how to leverage that customization. I mean, the platform provides it, but it's the understanding at the client level in terms of what that platform can do mm-hmm. um, is, is the challenge, is the gap. Now, Salesforce are looking to plug that with uh, resources that help uh, educate clients in terms of the the use of the platform and and, and how it can be uh, bespoke to individual needs. But yeah. but I still think there's a there's a missing element, and it's a good use case uh, for all other platforms around exactly how, how they're configured um, to yeah. suit those specific requirements of a of a client, especially to deliver a, a customer engagement, customer management program. Yeah. And you're actually, it's a genius example, Nick, because I've always been a fan of Salesforce. And again, from my kind of corporate background, I've seen it, you know, totally customized and plugged into um, our own kind of operational platforms in business. But even now as an independent consultant, I will still and still do use um, Salesforce. And I think I pay like $10 a month or something for it. So, so it's super affordable. I don't need any customization for it for my needs, but it absolutely deals with all levels of access that certainly wouldn't have been available 20 years ago. Exactly, Paula. But but I do think, uh, and this is where the CSN comes in, is, is, is making sure that that platform and the configuration of that platform is specific to the, mm. the customer management needs and uh, organizational uh, and mm. operating model needs of the business. So that that's no small task to take mm. a platform <laughs> and then and make it sing uh, for, for a client, especially uh, delivering against um, commercial targets. Exactly. Um, and I think that's the key point around platforms is, is they're great, but mm. they need to be leveraged for the best uh, use of, of a client and their, and their needs. 
And I know, again, the way I've experienced inquiries from, from companies looking to either, you know, identify a platform for the first time or replace one. So very often, you know, based on their relationship with me, they might reach out and ask for an informal recommendation. But certainly um, within the CSN, what we do have is a formal, I suppose, professional benchmarking solution of over 65 platforms. So I know there is a very um, detailed and customized report available, um, which is super affordable if somebody does want to go, well, tell me all of the platforms available around the world that may be able to meet my brief. So that's definitely something I know that we've had a lot of interest in. And I think a lot of people listening might be interested, if not now, maybe in a, in a couple of years time. No, definitely. And as you say, Paula, it's that it's that fit between, you know, what we need as a client and the and the platforms that, that are out there. I mean, you know, we're we're working on a project at the moment with a with an organization that are looking for a couponing platform. Now mm. now there are some fantastic couponing platforms of, available. Mm. Um but but which one fits intimately uh, mm. with the client needs, given given their legacy systems, given their operating model, mm. given their commercial targets, given their budgetary constraints, mm. is is a consideration in itself. And I think that's what this bench, benchmarking service gives comfort to clients, mm. knowing that that the the platform is fit against their uh, multitude of mm. variables in mm. terms of what they're looking for and I know what you've done in that particular example, Nick, has been fantastic. So again, nobody wants to issue an RFP to 65 companies because that would be um, a life's work probably. But what you've been able to do is say, okay, we understand the client needs. We know those 65 platforms. We can give you a short list of the top three or four because we've done the benchmarking. And then you can go to RFP or whatever process you want, but you know, to shortlist from the most um, suitable platforms based on a very experienced set of um, understanding of, of what's available out um, in the industry. And, and, and that's exactly it, Paula. That, that CSN service is essentially to make that process more efficient. Brilliant. Brilliant. Okay, so that's the platform piece, Nick. The second thing I know that uh, lots of uh, brands have been um, increasingly focused on, and, and they have to from a legal perspective, is the whole point around privacy. So what kind of um, way would CSN um, respond if a brand was concerned about managing their data um, in an optimal fashion? Well, I mean, we all understand, uh, you know, from a global perspective, that the, in, the individual privacy is a growing area of governmental regulation. Mm. You know, again, we're seeing that loyalty managers are requiring, you know, practical advice of what can be implemented in terms of their permission-based uh, communication strategy with their customers and with their members in a timely and cost-effective manner. You know, and something, you know, a contact strategy or a data gathering uh, strategy uh, that fits with this ever-changing approach to privacy regulation. 
So what we look for within the CSN is to have members that are specialists within within this area, within mm. this area of privacy. And, and we have a, a very highly regarded um, industry uh, champion, Richard Dutton, mm-hmm. that, that we call upon to, to help support the advice around mm. uh, e-privacy, around GDPR in Europe, mm. um, Around, you know, around essentially how loyalty programs should look to gather mm-hmm. customer data, mm. process customer data, mm. and use that to engage with their, with their members in a loyalty program for commercial mm. value. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, um, as you said, Nick, we all have a very good understanding of, and and I suppose very well intentioned around managing customer data, but it's the subtlety that worries me when I'm, you know, going out and asking for permission to market to people. And I have found internally with clients, there's probably very good legal support available, you know, at a general level, but because it's so sensitive around loyalty permissions that you probably do need an expert when it comes to signing off the terms and conditions and sense checking everything that you've put in place. So, so really good to hear that Richard's available to, to kind of input on those type of projects. Uh, but also, Paula, I think it's going back to being a practitioner. It's, it's yeah. not a legal exercise in itself. I mean, lots of these uh, questions that our clients are asking, there, there are some shades of gray. So mm. if I give a use case, mm. is I'm working with a client that wants to uh, incentivize um, the, uh, the opt-in for marketing information from their from their from their customers. They run a points program mm-hmm. and they want to use points as an incentive uh, for members to opt into their program. Mm-hmm. And, and I have a conversation with Richard uh, after we speak on this podcast to, to understand a legal view on that. And, and where Richard is good is he can give a a, a, a view around his experience of these programs of mm. what what is capable of doing and what probably isn't. So it's not a hard and fast legal mm. ruling. It's an interpretation um, mm. using using experiences from from programs across the world. And I think I think really that's going yeah. back to that practitioner point. Is is that's really where we try and add value. For sure. And certainly very reassuring because, again, with the best will in the world, everybody is trying to get the best possible um, quality and quantity of member data. Um, But there's a line that you just can't cross and you do need that level of expertise sometimes just to go, you know, how far can we go with this? So, um, so yeah, delighted to hear that uh, Richard is supporting you on that one. Yes, yes. So, program effectiveness. Now, this this probably is the... (laughs) The fun the, part, the, huh? The, the, the one, <laughs> one that everybody uh, everybody's interested in terms of, you know, how their programs are. You know, yeah. it basically comes down to the commercial pro the commercial performance against against quarterly sales targets. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm currently working with a European fashion outlet, uh, a mall operator. You know, where their loyalty program is is the major contributor to their growth targets. 
Okay. There's so much focus within the business on that program and its effectiveness. Mm-hmm. You know, and in, how in, is in, it? The, yeah, tell us. So in their case, you know, any chance of success of the program um, is based essentially around how they optimize their, lo- their legacy systems. So how their loyalty program interfaces with, you know, their legacy point of sale uh, technology, mm. you know, with their customer data platform that they have. Mm. So it's very rare that the program, the loyalty program encompasses all, all elements of their technical stack. Mm-hmm. There's always touch points in terms of legacy systems. And I think mm-hmm. this is one of the key points that's overlooked around programs. It's how they can be made to be efficient mm-hmm. given an existing uh, marketing tech stack. Yeah. And, and that's one side of it, Nick. But in my experience, I suppose the other piece that that, um, that companies are really excited to, to kind of get insights on is, you know, what kind of return on investment should we be getting in our sector, in our market, in our phase of the life cycle of our loyalty program? Is it delivering as well as it can? And if it's not, why not? And what can be done to optimize it? I, 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 I agree. Um... Although maybe I would have some pushback, actually, Paula, because because a lot of these programs uh, depend on the the organisational structure and the operating model of mm-hmm. the individual company itself. It's it's very difficult to evaluate apples with apples. I mean, we touched upon earlier in the podcast around the vendor. Mm. benchmarking service that the CSN provides. Mm. And it's relatively easy to look at different platforms, to look at Adobe against Mm. Salesforce, Mm. against a SAP. Mm -hmm. It's more difficult in terms of looking at an airline program and comparing it with a different uh, airline, Mm. you know, given given the operating model that 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 program is coming from within, within the organization. Mm. So, so looking at um, this this mall operator is how centralised they run their program against other mall operators that have a decentralised approach, mm. and having cost and resource within the program from an internal perspective, how that translates into a return on investment externally. Mm. So I suppose, again, where CSN comes at this is we try and, and get under the hood <laughs> and, yeah. and, and look from a technical perspective, from an operating perspective, mm. and from a customer value perspective mm-hmm. before we can evaluate a program against a competitor. Mm. And do you find, Nick, in, in this, that example specifically that you're working on, do you find that um, it's a lack of um, awareness internally or simply just a lack of, you know, I suppose, specialized expertise? Like, is it the independence or the external perspective? Like, where's the, where's the requirement coming from in terms of what you're doing for them? Well, wh- where I see with this particular client, in, and, 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 it, is, it, it all relates to a propensity or to risk. Okay. They, they understand intimately you know, what 
is the art of the possible. Okay. What their constraint is, is the amount of disruption that they are prepared to put into their own business Mm -hmm. to get to that optimum level. Mm -hmm. You know, if we came at everything with a blank sheet of paper, we would do things in so many different ways. Mm -hmm. But we are, we have to recognize the constraints of, of, of where we are. Mm. and the disruption to where that we believe we need to get to. And Mm. I think that's where I see with clients is there's not that they don't have an understanding of what the vision is. Mm -hmm. It's their risk associated (laughs) with getting to that vision. You know, everybody wants that incremental sale. Mm. Nobody wants to lose a customer, uh, a customer with a high lifetime value on the way to getting to that, uh, to where they need to be. Mm. Wow. Well, it sounds super exciting that you're able to go in and, and, and help them optimize that program for them. Yeah. Yes. And I, I think that's program of, uh, effectiveness is, 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 is a very, there's a lot of levers that come into play around program effectiveness. And as you said, Paula, you know, the top line is, you know, what sales are this driving in this, in my business? What are the trends within my industry sector? You know, how am I indexing against my competitors? Mm. Uh, but I think to get to that point, there's quite a lot of work that, that, that needs to be done in terms of looking at the systems architecture, mm. looking at the operating model and looking at the value proposition, and then looking at the amount of disruption that would potentially be put onto the business mm. in terms of changing to get to um, get, get to where the commercial drivers uh, re- are requiring the program to be at. Yeah. And you're right, Nick. I mean, disruption just is, you know, it's it's just the new normal. So I think for, for me, certainly I want to be aware of what, what is disrupting the industry. So at least I have half a chance of dealing with it. So so it's great to have that level of expertise to say this is what's coming at the industry um, in terms of the disruptors and, and the new new ways of working. Yeah, yes. And, and, and there's some fantastic innovation. Um, you know, coming down the track around payments and around tokenization and around card linking. I think the challenge is how does that fit into a legacy operating model, yeah. a legacy uh, technical tech stack mm. and a legacy value proposition? Yeah. You know, the, the, the key is to navigate how that new new ideas and new innovation can be fit can fit within an old style yeah. of working. I think and, and again that that's the key to what the CSN is is trying to do mm. for clients to help them navigate that that change process. Yeah, it, it's certainly very complex, my goodness. Um, and just the last couple then, Nick, of questions that I wanted to talk to you. Overall, just from your perspective as a practitioner, what kind of trends are you seeing um, either in loyalty or in the payments industry? Well, well, Paula, I suppose I would say this. <laughs> you know, the key, the key the key trend I see is this convergence uh, between payment process and the, the customer loyalty aspects. Yeah. You know, where the loyalty programs of the future will be frictionless, 
will be a frictionless element within a payment process. Mm-hmm. You know, in whatever format that payment that payment process takes place, mm-hmm. whether it's biometrics, whether it's wearables, whether it's a cryptocurrency, mm-hmm. or whether it's a super app like WeChat and Alipay. Mm-hmm. You know, I see the loyalty element baked in to that to that process of payment. Yeah, um, and and really, that's where I see the future future trends for loyalty. Amazing. Um, yeah. And and again, I mean, you're the ne- expert, Nick, and, and we won't be able to get into the full t- detail of it now. But for me, the most exciting part, just coming purely from either with my consumer hat on or just as a marketing expert, I guess, is, you know, where the payment mechanism can become the loyalty identifier. And to your point about removing friction, as you know, I do a huge amount of work within convenience retail. And if you can start to, um, you know, eliminate the need, for example, for a plastic card to swipe at the till and just make the, the payment mechanism automatically recognize who that customer is and track whatever recognition rewards you want to put alongside it. Like, I find that super compelling and super exciting. So, so definitely... All the clever stuff around, um, as you said, biometrics and, and advanced technologies, but specifically something that sounds simpler, which is just, you know, why can't we just have payment linked loyalty? So, so I think you've got plenty of work ahead of you between all of those opportunities. No, but 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 Paula, I mean, payment linked loyalty exists. You know, you yes. can all, already. I mean, I can already go into a shopping mall and and link my payment card within an app, and then spend in all the concessions and uh-huh. earn value back for those transactions in a purely frictionless manner. Yeah. I think the challenge is the disruption <laughs> that yeah. that new way of working would cause to a legacy. Uh, loyalty program, uh, yeah. you know, using your example of the convenience sector, you know, to migrate customers into a new way of considering loyalty and yeah. how they obtain loyalty is perhaps the key, the key point, not, mm. not the technology that would underlie in it mm-hmm. because that exists. It's yeah. the migration of customer perception mm. is, is key as I see it. Uh, and I completely agree, Nick. And certainly some of the feedback that I've heard is that once customers are aware of it, they absolutely love it. So there, there is quite a steep learning curve in terms of just the, you know, the challenge to communicate effectively. Again, particularly in that industry that we know nobody wants to invest any more time, even milliseconds at the till. But once they've done the connection once, you know, the, the added benefits, for example, of not having paper receipts every time I go into a store um, and to have all of those available digitally really does resonate with customers. But yes, getting the technology along that journey um, into an already busy environment um, is, is definitely a challenge and one that uh, certainly I can hear you're doing a huge amount of work with. Yes, yes. No, it's, uh, it's exciting times, very exciting times for the loyalty industry, you know, given the yeah. amount of disruption, given the amount of innovation, yeah. you know, it's a great time to be a loyalty marketeer. 
It sure is. So, so listen, just to, to wrap up then, Nick, um, again, we've talked a lot about um, CSN. We're both uh, very passionate members of that. And again, it's a, it's a very different style of show, specifically because I remember having the pain point of not having access to great brain power um, in a very niche industry. So just, um, I suppose my final question really is, like, what does success look like for the Customer Strategy Network? Well, you know, for me, uh, success uh, for the customer strategy network is to provide all the members, uh, you know, like yourself, Paula, mm. with a highly compelling and sustainable value proposition for why you would want to be part of it. Mm. You know, I understand that independent practitioners, you know, they have opportunities to work and coalesce, you know, in myriads of ways. Um, and the CSN really needs to drive value for them. Mm. Is to say to them, by being part of this organization, this umbrella brand, you know, you're going to see real value by working with your peers Mm. or by working with clients and vendors that want to utilize your experience and your skill sets. So for mm. me, and maybe I'm, because I'm managing the, the, the customer strategy network, you know, mm. success is, is, is your continued support of it. <laughs> you know, that, that's how I define <laughs> success. Well, I mean, it's it's certainly um, a shared um, objective, Nick. Like we, I, I know we, we very much enjoy working together and I think that is true. I know it's true, in fact, for, for all 14 members. And even yesterday, for me, it's super reassuring just to kind of go, here's a question that I have that I don't know how to answer for a client and to be able to just tap into that level of expertise and instantly get a very, very well-educated and expert view on a very specific question is an extraordinary opportunity. And I've said many times before, I have an insatiable appetite for learning. And I think that's something that we all share. So um, yeah, the final piece, I guess, is just if there are, you know, all of these loyalty program managers listening to this conversation between us today, Nick, where's the best place for them to, to, to have a chat or to look at all of the various people available if they have particular questions about their own loyalty program that they want to explore with someone? Well, uh, I mean, I'd hopefully they'd, they'd come to you, Paula, <laughs> and, 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 <laughs> that would and, be great. <laughs> and talk to you directly. Um, yeah, but they can contact myself or they can go to the customerstrategynetwork.com website. Um, all great. the profile of all the members are there yeah. and, and ways of connecting via LinkedIn or email or, or, or through whichever channel. Um, yeah. So it's, it's all on the website, customerstrategy.com. CustomerStrategyNetwork.com, sorry. That, brilliant, brilliant. Well, Nick, I'm so happy to be able to talk to you today. As I said, um, I love being a part of this network and uh, I know there's a huge amount of people listening who'll be super excited to know that there is a place that they can bring their, their most complex challenges. Um, so just want to say from my perspective, I've really enjoyed our conversation today and thanks a million for talking to Let's Talk Loyalty. Thanks, Paula. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Let's Talk Loyalty. If you'd like me to send you the latest show each week, simply sign up for the show newsletter on letstalkloyalty.com and I'll send you the latest episode to your inbox every Thursday. Or just head to your favorite podcast platform, find Let's Talk Loyalty and subscribe. Of course, I'd love your feedback and reviews and thanks again for supporting the show.